This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alexander. All right, hello, 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 hello. Welcome back to Fans on the Run. By my calculations, the sixth best Beatles podcast. Um, you know... I actually haven't recorded one of these episodes in a while. You wouldn't be able to tell by my upload schedule, but the way I do things is I kind of record in bursts, where, you know, let's say in like a three-week span, I record like seven episodes. So I, I don't really have to worry about uploads for the next, or for the other four weeks out of the seven. So sometimes when you'll hear me, I may sound a little rusty because I haven't recorded in like two or three weeks. This is one of those occasions, so you're in for a treat today. Our, our guest, mystery guest, how would you describe yourself? Uh, passionate, passionate lover of all things music related, but especially the Beatles and Paul McCartney. Shocker. As if you wouldn't be able to tell by the name and the title and the description, our guest today is the co-host of Two Legs, a Paul McCartney solo podcast, Andy Nichols. Welcome to Fans on the Run. Good morning, Ethan, and thank you for having me on your show. And uh, may I just say what a great show it is, and you've been a, a welcome addition to the Beatles podcast community in your short time. Your show and who you've booked and what you've done has been nothing short of amazing. So it's just a pleasure. You don't to be have here. to say the show's good. You've already gotten on. It's great, but I, it's so awesome that you know you just boom out of nowhere and everybody starts messaging me. You see this kid? He's got this. He's got this. I'm like, whoa! Really? Yes. Yes. Oh wow! Yes. That's a bit of a feather in my cap. Certainly is. Well, Two Legs isn't doing too bad itself. You ju- you guys just uh, celebrated your 100th episode. We did. We did. Uh, I joined Two Legs just about a year ago now. Uh, in October of 2019, Tom got in touch with me after I had kind of launched the beginning of my own podcast, which I had been wanting to do for a while, and I got to a point in my life where I could do one because I wasn't so busy, and I started to do one, and I did one episode called Backward- of my show Backwards Traveler, and Tom saw it. And was like, hey, this was a great show. Um, my partner is leaving. Would you be interested in co-hosting one with me? My two and I had already been a follower of Two Legs for quite a while, not since the inception, but I knew about it and listened to a few episodes. So it's been a crazy ride. Um, you know, a hundred episodes uh, with my, you know, my the guy that before me, David, Tom's cousin, did seventy or so shows, and uh, we've done thirty some odd shows now. So it's it's gone by very quickly. Time flies when you're having fun. It really does, and we're, um, you know, we, we, we just did the 100th one, and um, we're kind of like you. We try to, we post, we, we record in bunches as well, very much similar to yourself, and then we can yeah. have them backlogged, and we can post them uh, weekly, and that's kind of been our, our MO the last uh, few months. When this episode will be posted, it'll probably be mid-October, and it'll probably mean it'll have been about six months since I started the show, which is mind-blowing to See, me, it just, because it feels like I just started. Right, but then you start planning, and you start scheduling people, and trying to make contact with people to plan, and you know, and as, as one of our leaders always says, you know, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans, so that's it. Who's that guy? We'll get into that. Who is that guy? Yeah. <laughs> who who are these Beatles? Hey, Beatle, as the guy says in Help. <laughs> yeah. Beatle. <laughs> uh, the great Roy Kinnear. That was, he was a uh, great, great, great that, actor. 
I I love that movie. It's I I honestly prefer it to a Hard Day's Night. I don't blame you. Everybody, you know, everybody fawns over a Hard Day's Night because it's like the classic, whatever. But I mean, I, but Help is just as damn as, as good as I I've, I've always felt it's, too. A Hard Day's Night's a better movie, but I enjoy watching Help more. Yeah, because it's just so silly. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, the yeah. Beatles all incredibly high yep. trying to make a James Bond movie. Yeah, like Pam, Pow, and all that other kind of James Bond 60-ish uh, you, know, you know, cinematography that they tried to use in that film a little bit. <laughs> exactly. And the movie is so well shot, too. Those music sequences are some of the best uh, things that the Beatles had looked on film ever. Yeah, I mean, and again, that could have been an early forerunner of a music video. You take those individual clips out, you know, that's a music video, you know, I Need You oh, for or sure. Another Girl. It's Those are music videos on their own, you know? The the clips for the night before where it's oh. it's like the camera's kind of strapped to the neck of Paul's bass. Fantastic. It, it, if it was shot like 50 years later, you'd say, oh, that's a GoPro. Exactly. But it was 1965. <laughs> exactly. So pretty revolutionary for its time there, Mr. Lester. Yeah. So anyways, let's jump right back to the beginning. Let's. What? How did you first discover the Beatles? All right. So I don't, I don't know what you'd call me in terms of generation of fans. I'm kind of, I, I'm, see, the thing is there, I don't really care because I have no idea what generation I am. Good. Yeah, so we we can forego labels. I don't know. Everybody likes to put a label on everybody. I'm I'm 39 years old, so I was born just after John, uh, John Lennon was uh, killed. So my kind of introduction to the Beatles was through him actually as a solo artist, believe it or not. Um, really? Seeing I remember seeing videos on TV for like Woman and things like that and liking it. And then of course I would just go through my dad's album collection, who's a first generation Beatle fan, and. I actually became a. Le- I was a- introduced to Lennon as a solo artist first. I remember, like, and I, f- I found like Shaved Fish and a few albums like that. And I, I actually was a Lennon fan first, and then going through more stuff, I actually saw the same guy on all, on all these other albums with these other three guys. And I said, "Gee, that looks a lot like you this guy." You were a Lennon guy first. I was a Lennon guy first. I was. And wow, how the times change. Yeah, I, 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 listen, I, I love them equally. Everybody always asks me, you know, you're into Paul McCartney, you do a Paul McCartney cod- podcast, and listen, I'm still, I think, at my core, spiritually, <laughs> very much a Lennon person, but, um, yeah. you know, I just it just becomes a, a question of, um, unfortunately, there's only, just, there's only so much to go off of with John's discography, and mm-hmm. Paul's is, you know, 50 years and still counting of all kinds of different stuff, so... You're limited to those ten or so albums. You're limited with John. to it, so and it's it's much more of a sentimental thing for me with his music. Obviously, um, I'm from the New York area, so I have ties to the proximity and all that stuff. So it's much more of a sentimental thing with Lennon. You, you message or you said in a uh, a message to me that your dad actually had a uh, an encounter with John. He did. He did. My dad was walking down the street in Greenwich Village one day and I think 1972 or maybe 70 I think I'm pretty sure it was 73 and he just walked by him and he said, "Hey John, how you doing? Thanks for the music." And John just waved at him and my dad kept walking, you know. It was uh, you know, I'm, and I I sit here and I'm like, "You mean you didn't you didn't ask him questions?" And he goes like, "No." He goes, "I respected his privacy. I just said hi and he waved and I kept going." You didn't ask if uh, Paul actually died in 1966. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't go geeky. He he didn't do what I probably would have done. But that's you know that's my dad for you, just playing it cool. And uh, 
you know, that's a, an amazing story. But uh, that's that's why I kind of told you. I think I was kind of just pre preordained to be to be into this Beatles world somehow. You know. So you're going through these records. You see this one guy over and over again, but then you start seeing these other three guys. Yeah. What was the first uh, specific Beatles record that you remember? The first Beatles record I remember playing and really digging was probably going to be Sgt. Pepper, for sure. Um, because it was just so, to a young child, it was so colorful, you know? Not that Exactly. It, it was so, it just was eye-catching to a five or six or seven-year-old kid. Was, let, me, let me give this one a whirl. Just... Just for its eye catchingness and its color, you know, that's what gravitated to it. So, you know, the Sgt. Pepper Mystery Tour were kind of like my first exposure to the Beatles records and then diving Because Mystery Tour, you had, uh, I don't know if your copy had this, uh, the book, which I think would have been enticing to like a five or six year old. Yeah, yeah, it did. I did, you know, just going through it and seeing like this huge like plate of spaghetti. I'm like, what am I looking at here? You know, <laughs> it's like... So, but it didn't matter because the music was great and colorful, um, and you know I, I wore it like a badge of you know honor as a, as a young kid from very the early days. I remember bringing albums to school and talking about it with, and of course it didn't resonate with anybody in my in my school, but I didn't care. Well, what year would this have been when you were bringing it in late eighties? Late eighties, you know. So it's. You know, it's not the Pet Shop Boys. No, it's like everybody was into at that time. New Kids on the Block, and uh, yes. uh, you know, uh, it was all that kind of the, all the late eighties rage. You know, Millie Vanilli. You know, before they found out that they were lip syncing. Oh yeah, <laughs> girl, you know it's girl, you know it's girl. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's a great yeah. story. You know, the guy jumps off stage. <laughs> I love watching that clip. Oh my god, it's it's pathetic. <laughs> It is. It really is. You're doing it, and the guy just runs off stage just because the CD was skipping. And then one of the guys just stays there and tries to go I, along with it. I know. And lip syncing to the skipping CD. Oh, I know. I know. You know what? That was that was good though. That was that was even though like they were fakers, but that was some good music. It really was. Whoever yeah. whoever did it. At least they gave back the Grammys. They did. They did. Yeah, sad story with those guys though. But um, yeah, you know, but good, but yeah, but that was the that was the world that I was kind of in in, in the late '80s and in, into the '90s in high school. You know, I was I was aware of the current trends, but um, didn't really care about it because I was soaking up everything that I could. Beatles, you know. So in in the '90 in the mid '90s when the anthologies launched, I'm in high school by that point, and it's the rage is like grunge, Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana. Stuff yeah. like that and the hip hop, Pearl Jam, hit, and then of course East Coast West Coast rap. Some of which I, I like, like the Biggie Small stuff. I liked it. Um, you you just mentioned something. Did you ever watch the show Mister Show? I have not. Okay, never mind. I have not. But um, so you know that was a, it was a very fruitful period to be kind of still getting the seat the year the I was at that time I was still kind of a, getting all the original CDs those 87 press all those first yeah. one and I had I had and then the boom the anthology comes and you know that was a pretty uh, that was like the defining moment like there was no going back as a fan for me at that point I was I was vested and you know just that would have been a uh, I wasn't alive but that would have been a great time to be a Beatles fan I assume it, it, it was when all those things like the uh you know live at the BBC the anthology stuff. It 
it it was and having you know and again bouncing these ideas off my my father he was like you see this excitement that's going on right now andy he's like this is how it was for every time a beatles new single or album came out for in that in all those years so magnify that excitement you know for that one time when the anthologies and then multiply it by 13 albums and 27 singles i mean can you imagine i, I can't it would it's it was crazy now you have one of the uh, the coolest claims out of anyone who's appeared on the show. You actually have a degree. I do relating to the Beatles. I do, I do. Um, Please elaborate. So I uh, I earned a master's degree in popular music studies, uh, which is kind of the umbrella under it, um, but it's formally known as a Master of Arts in the Beatles, Popular Music, and Society, which I earned from Liverpool Hope University in uh, January of 2012. I had lived there for about a year and a half. Liverpool. Liverpool, England, where it all started, yes. Where it all started. Yeah. Um, and it was, I, I had recently graduated with my uh, bachelor's degree and hadn't really figured out where I was going to go, job, you know, I hadn't, wasn't teaching yet. And my mother actually saw an advert for this program and she goes, hello, this would be right up your alley. So I applied, uh, you know, wrote an essay, submitted something, you know, I had, I had the background. I was like, oh, I'm not going to get into this. And lo and behold, I was accepted. Um, and I think I was like maybe one or I was probably there was four or five Americans in that cohort with us um, out of the I don't know how many thousands of applicants. So it was pretty, pretty prestigious to be chosen to go. Um, and what it, was it like? Because I've talked to a lot of people. I've, I've been there uh, visiting Liverpool. What was it like moving to Liverpool? That was, you know, you're on your own. You know, you, you know, you, you pack your bags and you get on a plane and you I flew to um, I flew to Heathrow, and then from Heathrow I took the train to Lime Street. Uh, and you know, it was I'm not gonna lie, it was pretty scary. You're, you're a foreign country. You're you're on your you don't know a soul. You've communicated with the professor, and I emailed a couple of classmates who I was gonna be meeting up with. But those first few days, I remember thinking like, can I do this? I'm in a foreign land. But I, I tell you what, after a couple of days, I met my classmates. And I went. On, I met friends down at the cavern, and it it was like, it just it clicked instantly. I mean, and that's almost ten years ago now. In fact, act yeah, September of 2010 is when I moved, and I was then I was in the program till January of 2012. So it's ten years ago this month that that happened. What was your favorite thing about living in Liverpool? Oh, just um, learning so much about. I mean, forget about the music aspect, which is full of rich music history, aside from the Beatles. Yeah. Pre-Beatles, 70s, 80s bands. Just getting to connect with the people locally who live there. Um, that was the most, that was the single greatest thing, other than the, the, the schooling, which was tremendous. And I had a great professor with Dr. Michael Brocken. Uh, and the, the the lectures that shout we had. out to Dr. Michael Brockett. He was a great. He's a great guy. He's written a lot of good books on Liverpool's history and see and. Um, but meeting meeting and interviewing like the people who live there um, and eventually kind of getting ex adopted as like a regular at places like the Cavern. That was to me the the single most greatest hand experience of the whole thing. And I mean, I'm still in touch with these people to this day because of that. So that. That and that alone. I mean, the music is great, and obviously all the Beatles stuff is great. But learning about Liverpool and the background and all the different parts of Liverpool, like you hear Liverpool, and you've been there, so you know. Yeah. You think Liverpool? Okay, 
it's like the docks and that's it. Liverpool is so big and has so many different parts to it. And that was the, that was the eye-opening experience too. I had lived uh, initially in the egg birth section of Liverpool, which is not too far from Toxteth, which is like kind of a not as uh, well-to-do area. And then later on in my time there, I had moved into the city center. Um mm-hmm. Right down by the docks and and, and, the, and the Mersey and all that, right right in the heart of uh, town. But that yeah. was learning of the, about the geography of Liverpool. And I actually walked. I just I think my first week there, when I didn't know anybody, I just got out of my dorm and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna just I'm not gonna go on a Beatles tour. I'm just gonna go do it myself. And I just printed out maps. And I'm like, okay, where's John's house? Where's Paul? And I just did my own self guided Beatles tour. <laughs> I did that myself, and that was uh, that was an eye-opening experience, but uh, one that has forever changed me for the better. So, how long would you say you walked that day? Oh, I think like eight miles. I got back that night, and I was exhausted. I left like at noon, and I got back like at eight o'clock, and I was dead. I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna go for a little walk around Liverpool, and I was freaking exhausted. I didn't get out of bed for like a day and a half. I was exhausted. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Next time, I'm gonna hop on. Uh, I'm gonna hop on the tube and, and do that instead, or grab a bus. Yeah. <laughs> they actually, I gotta give this a little also too, a little cool thing. Uber now is like all the rage now. We, but this was like years before Uber. But over there, they actually had like you could call and schedule like an uh, uh, an Uber driver before to come and get you and take you wherever you want. Like they have the big yellow taxis, right? But yeah. That so this was like they had Uber before Uber existed over there, which was like back then was like a, you could just call some random person and they'll come and pick you up and take you wherever you got to go it was crazy really yes yeah and uh they used to they call it private hire cabs and then there's obviously licensed ones and you know the the city would you know poo poo anybody using the, the ones that are not licensed but they were cheaper and you could call them day or night and say okay i'm you know i'm standing on matthew street and i need to go to you know uh sefton park okay we'll be there in five minutes <laughs> that was it it was crazy Damn, Liverpool pioneers. They really are, and that, and that the fact that it's such a melting pot too. I didn't know that. Like, there's a there's a there's a section of town that's Chinatown. You know, you've got all kinds of. It's a melting pot of all the world's kind of nationalities. Great restaurants, great food. You know, it's not just very you know Liverpool, and it's, it's just pubs. I mean, there's plenty of pubs, and I've been at, and I was in a lot of them, but um, but it's more than that. You know, so it's uh, anybody who hasn't been, and I have lots of Beatle fans. Uh, friends of mine who have not been, I'm like, you need to go there. And I'm glad that you you got to go there. When did you go? I, I went back in uh, 2013. Although my biggest regret is not really venturing outside of that uh, whole Matthew Street block. Yeah, but because that you could spend days down there just on yeah. Matthew Street. I mean, there's well, so you've got the Len- hotel I stayed was right there. Oh, did you stay at the Hard Day's Night? Of course I did. Of course you did. Of course, of course. you did. And see, yeah. and that's all Where owned. Else? Well, of course. And that's all owned by Cavern City Tours, which owns the... They own the hotel. They they own the Cavern Club and the, and the neighboring pub across the street, the Cavern Pub. <laughs> I so, actually... Yeah. I, I spent more time in the Cavern Pub than I did the Cavern Club. You and me you both, know? buddy. That was, the, that was the place, as I learned, the pub... On the left was where the that's where the regulars and locals would go. Yeah, uh, that's the place was my home after lectures. You know, we had class every night from about six to eight, uh, two or three nights a week, 
and then I would we would go down there, and that's where I met my friends and learned that like you know the the touristy part of the cavern was across the way, you know, yeah. uh, down there. Well, and um, they're both the touristy bit because they, neither of them are originally where the cavern was. No, no, it wasn't. You know, it was further down the road, as you know. Yeah, it's long gone. Long gone. But they say that they use some of the bricks to do the new one. But um, Cavern City Tours and Bill Heckle, they do a, a, a tr- you know they, a tremendous job. Of running that place, I'm very happy to see that they reopened now in, in post COVID. Um, Myself were, yeah, as well. That's a tremendous thing because I know that they were really hemorrhaging money away there for yeah. a while. So I'm, they were at risk of you know permanently closing. Which I have to think like I would think somewhere down and somebody would reach out to Maca and say, "Come on, you're, gonna, you're really going to let the cavern close?" I would have to think he, he wouldn't let that happen. You know, I would hope not. <laughs> But um, the, as for the course itself, it was the, the program, the master's degree, was one of the hardest things I've ever done. You know, I went over there, a newly minted college grad, you know, thinking, okay, I've got this. You know, and I, I wrote my first paper, and my professor was like, this wasn't great. You know, you, you can't submit this. You've got, you've got to turn it in. So that was an eye opener. The standards of which they grade on for writing and everything, that raised the game to a whole new level. Um, but I, so I became a better writer. Because of that, a better researcher. Uh, because of that. And um, and people think, oh, well, what do you have? A master's in the Beatles. What is that? It's not a master's in just the Beatles. We didn't sit around there going, and on like July 3rd, 1963, they wrote She Loves You. That's not what the, that's not what the program was. <laughs> the, the program was a study and an, uh, an approach to, to why popular music should be an accepted form of discipline, you know, worldwide. You know, you've got, you've got programs of study on classical music. Uh, at all the colleges, why can't popular music studies be accepted? And it was a it was a it was a study and an in depth look at audiences, um, geography, politics, uh, all those things, social issues, economics. It, it was not uh, you know we're gonna, who wrote Hey Jude. It was not that at all. Uh, and I think some people and I kind of thought it'd be a little more heavy on the Beatles end, but it, but it wasn't. But I was okay with that, and I I came out of that experience with such an appreciation for the Liverpool history that really is not the one that's talked about all that much. In these thousands of Beatle books that are out there, there's so much written about what they became in 63 or and on, or especially in, Ameri- in North America. Mm-hmm. But the, the Liverpool history, you know, the Liverpool history and the places they played and the thing, that is my favorite era now that's because it's rarely talked about and only... Really, Mark Lewison has done that period justice with his first volume of Tune In, with the, the deluxe edition. Uh, have you read any of uh, David Bedford's books? I have. Um, and, uh, we met David. David lectured us. Uh, David visited us one time, and uh, his book is too. His, his his work is very good too. I think David's work is catered more for the masses, you know, just to kind of get it a, a they kind of dip their toe into Liverpool history. But it's still, I I enjoy David's work. Uh, I think it's a good book. Yeah, because he, he, when I uh, talked to him, he was talking about, you know, the uh, musical history of Liverpool, because it's not just the Beatles, because it was a, a port town. They got not just the American, uh, you know, R&B records, they got like country and stuff. Yes, they got country. Um, even like the Liverpool black music scene was uh, tremendous. We met, a, we met a guy who visited us one night for a lecture guy by the name of Joe Ankra, A-N-K-R-A-H, and he was in a group called uh, The Chants, C-H-A-N-T-S, and they were managed by Brian Epstein. 
Uh, and they, you know, this is a guy that came to us t- telling us stories about, you know, s- you know, sitting and hanging out, working with John, Paul, George, and Pete at that point because Pete was still in the band. <laughs> and, you know, their career didn't really go anywhere after the outside, much outside of Merseyside. But I mean, the, the stories that we heard from, and it's on YouTube. If you search up the chance, they have the, the what their biggest hit I think was a song called uh, "If I Could Write a Book," and that stories like that is what made this program this experience the truly remarkable one that it is that still still that still is with me this day so it, again it's to your point and to david bedford's point it's it's much more than just the beatles you've got you know the country scene that and which is huge which was huge in liverpool you know and these are the all the influences that's why kind of that that melting pot mentality fits the fits it very well and i think most fans, Beatle fans, would be well served if they had done a little bit more reading on Liverpool uh, itself. It, it's it's bad, you know, the the class struggle between the North and the South um, in terms of London and how most of the country viewed Liverpool just as a kind of poor town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all these things are kind of what we talked about in the course. It was not, you know, it was not, you know, who wrote I Want to Hold Your Hand. So I, it's kind of what I always tell people, but it's usually over the heads. Just for the record, who did write I Want to Hold Your Hand? <laughs> <laughs> that, I think, is just a true 50-50 uh, song between Lennon and McCartney, if I have my facts right. <laughs> Although, of course, Bob Dylan always thought the line was, I get high and not, yeah. uh, I can't hide. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that 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 just sounds like projection. Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> uh, I I want to ask you while we're talking about these uh, personal connections, uh, do you have any favorite memories involving the Beatles music or the music of the Beatles? Or that was that was a really weird roundabout sentence. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Do I have, <laughs> do I have any favorite like musical moments that where I associate with? Yes. Yeah. Um, or memories involving like being a fan of the Beatles, like conventions or oh sure meeting I mean, people. Yeah. Uh, I met well. I've met um, well. Of course, like music for me is music is associated for and for most people. Obviously, you, you hear a song, you're taken you're taken back to a time in your life that you remember. Um, <laughs> what you were doing, what was going on. Like when I hear Free as a Bird, I think about being in high school and all that excitement about the anthologies. Um, when I listen to Red Rose Speedway, I think about you know where I was the first time I got that album and actually connecting with it. So uh, in terms of meeting people, I've gone to conv- I've gone to the Beatle Fests and I, I'm still calling it the Beatle Fest. I'm not calling it that whole Fest for Beatles fan official thing. I'm sorry. It's Beatle Fest. It was... Be- it's always going to be Beatle yeah. Fest. I'm sorry. That's what it is. Sorry, Yoko. Um, <laughs> but that's... I, I, I what would, does she have to do with it? She's the one, I think, that asked for the name to be changed, I think. Ah. I, I, yeah, I have Somebody might know about that. Maybe you can ask Lapidus the next time you get him on. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm in the New York area, so I would go to the ones in, in New York, uh, New Jersey a lot. Not every year, but back in the day, I, I they were great to go to. I met um, Denny Lane at one, and I met Denny Sywell. Uh, at one, they both signed my copy of Wildlife, and that was a great meeting, meeting those guys uh, over the years. Um, the last one I went to was in 2018, and they've got, they've gotten, the guests are still very good, but the event is, uh, like, it's like back in the day, and you you went to the Chicago one, so you'll know this, but back in the day, and especially pre-internet, the, um, 
the, the, the merchandise, the marketplace area was like filled with hundreds of vendors from all over the world selling all kinds of stuff. Yes, you could find bootlegs there if you knew who to talk to. Yeah. Um, but now, when I went in 2018, I, I, it was reduced. And again, I didn't go every year because it, it does get a little re- repetitive for, for me. If they get if he gets a really good guest, I'll go. But um, it just it's been dwindled down to like a few rooms, and like there's like the marketplace was like five tables. It was ve- I was I was amazed. But you know, in the advent of online and and everything else, um, there's there's no need to have all those people there. So. It being, you know, fandom, especially with the Beatles. To be fair, is- I don't really have a point of reference for what it was before. So I was still, you know, my jaw dropped at seeing this entire ballroom full of vendors, even though there was only like, you know, 15 or 20. But that's still more than they. I guess I guess Chicago had much more than New Jersey. And then fifteen or twenty is pretty cool. But it's still when you walk in there and you're like, oh my god, there's all this stuff here. It's yeah, like it's, you know, you know the feeling. Just with Beatles stuff. <laughs> and there were like fifteen butcher covers in that room. Oh god! Then there's. I, I think the guy goes to. He goes to every one of them, and he's a vendor from New Jersey. I think his name is Gary Hine. Uh, and he's got a tr- he's got a tremendous collection of albums, but like <laughs> you would need to like get a mortgage to buy one of them. And like he's got all the butcher covers; they're all like you know ridiculous, like thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm like, oh, I walk by it, I'm like, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but at least it works kind of as a museum where you can see all this stuff. It does. Like, oh it, it, wow, an original German export pressing of Please Please Me. Oh wow, I'm not gonna buy that. Yeah, it looks nice, but I can't touch it. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even. I can't even go. Near, I can. I can look at it, and that's about it. You can do window shopping. You know. Look at that. How much does it cost? Seven hundred dollars. Next booth. Next booth. Oh, okay. You have a forty-five for like three bucks. Okay, I can. That's in my market. But we can do that. That's in my wheelhouse. Yeah. But um, three bucks. Yeah. Yeah. You can. Yeah. There's some. There's. Yeah. There's, there's deals. You to can be had. still find deals. You can. I mean, I still see copies of Instant Karma for like less than five bucks, even with a picture sleeve. I'm always amazed at that. But when I was there. I got a an original UK mono pepper for like fifteen bucks on the last day. That's pretty good. Because they were doing you know their sales, and I even got it from Rockaway the Rockaway Records booth. You got it from Rockaway Records. Well, that's these that's the game you got to play too. When you go there on a Friday night, see it's a it's a catch twenty two. If you mm-hmm. want to be the first one there to go through the stuff before anybody kind of gets at it, you're gonna pay that you're gonna pay the biggest price, right? But well, by I, Sunday, I kind of had the best of both worlds there. Because I, I went right when it opened. I got first pick. I ended up paying, you know, a little bit more. But it was still like 50, 50 American dollars for like an original UK white album. Wow. Numbered top loader. A top loader. The, yeah, yeah. Those, that, those, that's, a, that's a gem right there for sure. It, a little rough, but not too rough. Like I, I would have paid, you know, 100, 150 for it. Yeah, but how much did you get it for? 50, 50 that's- or so. It's probably not in the best shape, but hey, you got it. Have you have you seen that Instagram page? The guy that we buy white albums, he just buys white I, albums. I have been following him for years. <laughs> that, that that account is great. <laughs> yeah, although it really frustrates me sometimes because sometimes I, you know, pops up in my feet and it's like a really clean white album, and it's just okay. It's one of the thousands he owns. It's like I I could buy that. I want that. <laughs> I always like looking at the ones where people draw and do different things on them. Those are the ones that crack me up the most when you well, see the, you know, people doing you artwork on them. Hear the one that he, 
took needle drops of like a hundred copies that are all like beat to shit. Yes. And overlaid them on top of each other, including all the covers, and had like a couple, like I think a thousand pressed. Yeah, yeah, I I, I heard some of those. That was that was wild. That was yeah. wild. And it's just one of them skips slightly or runs a little fast. Yeah. And it just towards the end, it just is a nightmare. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, but it's still just so impressive to of, of an undertaking for sure. I mean, I think I don't know my last white album count. I think was at like I don't know ten or eleven copies. I don't know. I, okay. I, I don't That's keep about track. The same here. I don't keep track anymore. <laughs> That's it's best that way. You know they're in, they're so they're in order they're there I log them into discogs and and that's with discogs you can kind of just do yeah. it that way which is I don't know if you do the same thing I but. I am a I am a fan of discogs. I've been trying to get my co-host to buy into that, but he's not. He's he's not into like he doesn't understand it yet. I've told him like Tom, I'm like you got to start buying stuff on discogs. Plus, you can do it. You can kind of just get your library built Tom on there. Tom doesn't buy off discogs. No. Well, where the hell is he buying all these records from? eBay. Except really, just eBay. eBay. Just eBay. And I'm like, bro, discogs. <laughs> I haven't bought off of eBay in a long time. I, I don't think anybody has except for Tom. So he's he's keeping well, the eBay ship afloat. <laughs> he he's propping up the eBay economy. He just bought. We were so we were talking last night. Oh uh, Jesus! What did he buy? He bought he bought like two he bought like two random CDs. We were just talking about him. He's like, oh, you know what? And I don't want to tip my hand because it's a future um, guest on Two Legs. But we were talking about this person. He's like, oh, I'm going to buy two of the CDs right now. I'm like, where? He's like, eBay. And I'm like, dude. Go to Discogs. <laughs> it's probably going to be cheaper on Discogs. I told them that. The, the only thing I don't like about Discogs, which there's, you know, you can work around it, but I, I don't like not seeing pictures of the actual items you're buying. You can see the pressing stuff, you know, pictures of like a clean copy, but... You're not see- getting the actual item. That yes. isn't fair. That's a very fair point. But, I so gotta, you, yeah. but usually I, I email the sellers like, could you send me some photos? And they're like, sure. Yeah, but I mean, I, I can't say I've had one bad Discogs experience. I don't know about how about you. I have once. Okay, listen, they're they're not all perfect out there. Yeah. But you well, know. but the, here here's what happened. Uh, for my birthday a couple years ago, I I didn't have any of the anthologies on vinyl, and I am, you know, a completist, and I figured, you as know, you should if be. I don't if I don't get all of these anthologies at once, it's gonna drive me crazy. So for my birthday, I just bit the bullet and bought sealed British copies of all three. Now, volume one, it was always the harder one to get. How much was that one? Volume one was the easiest one to find. Really? I, I got it for, I think, it was like 35 US dollars. That's pretty good. For that, a sealed. Seal, a sealed copy from the UK. Because they were the two and three were pressed in America. And Bruce, if you're listening, correct me, but... I can correct you there. Actually, one one one, 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 was, one was only manufactured in in the UK, and two and three had both. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, and I I did not buy the US copies of two and three. You bought the British ones. Good on yeah. you. Good on Although you for that. In, in Canada, that's kind of the case. You know, if we had the option of either importing from Britain or the US, we usually imported from Britain. Right, you would do that anyway. Um, yeah, because a lot, yeah, like a couple of the sealed British records I have have big stickers on like the front and ba- or front or back saying like imported by EMI Music Canada. Right, right. Um, and did you did you collect obviously all the um, 
all the Canadian pressings too. I'm sure you have them all, of right? Yeah, that's a, that was another one of my classmates who was there before me. I think was from Canada, and she actually wrote a book on uh, the Beatles in Canada. I could just it, her name is escaping me, but um, I I have to look it up and send it to you. But um, the, the the Canadian pressings, I love. I love the Canadian. I love the alternate. I love the artwork on them. How they're different, just a little bit. I I love the Canadian pressings. There's only there's only a couple I don't have, which is. Because I'm, I'm always a, a stickler for condition. And it's that album, Very Together, I, oh. don't, I don't own a copy of. Because <laughs> oh, every time the- I see it, it's, you know, always at like an antique market or something for like 50 bucks. And it's like got the worst ring wear you would ever see, ever. Yeah. And it's like, I, I'm not paying that. And I, I don't have two of the Canadian singles. Have you, um, have you ever seen um, The Vegas Show, Love? I, I have not. Uh, I got to see that in 2009, and that was again talking about just Beatle experiences from my. Um, that was a great one too. I went out there with my cut to visit my cousin and uh, two friends, and of course they no, they didn't want to go, so I, I I took the 150 dollars and said I'll go alone, <laughs> and I did. And that was a great show. That was a tremendous experience. I, I've seen pictures of the gift shop, which. <laughs> Oh, talk about like gift shops and being wowed, like the marketplace at Beetlefest. Like that's like I'll send you a couple. I have a few of myself in the gift shop. I'll send you them. It's like, whoa! It's like you know, ridiculous. But that's a great show. Because they've had this base there. I think it it might even just be on display, like a Hofner base signed yep. by all four Beatles. Yep. I'm I'm gonna send you that. I have a picture of myself next to that display oh, case. Wow. Yeah, I'll send it to you. <laughs> we're we're talking about records. I'm gonna ask what's your holy grail in your collection that took you so long to find but now it's rightfully sitting on your shelf the holy grail hold on gee i have to, I have to think about or one that. that you're like still looking for it could be one of those too okay one that i'm still looking for obviously would be uh you know a butcher yeah uh, a, that's aren't like, we all aren't we all so that's like on that never-ending list we're never gonna get that um never say never I have so I have a couple, uh, and I got them in a collection from I can't remember, even remember how long I bought a I bought a box of records from somebody at some store years ago, and in there were three sealed copies of um, Beatles Six, Revolver, and the White Album, all first all first pressings, and they're oh, and, wow. and they're still sealed. So those are like my those like, are like White Album was it numbered? It's numbered, yes, and it's sealed. It is. Oh damn. Yeah, those. Oh damn. Yeah, I, yeah. It's it's in pla- It's in like three layers of plastic. I hardly even look at it because I don't even want to touch it. <laughs> but yeah, um, those those are those are my three those are my three favorites like crown jewels for sure. There, there's one in my collection that it's it's kind of my crown jewel. What do you and got? I bought it by accident because I, I was just looking for an original UK Abbey Road, and I was in Toronto on my birthday, and uh, I saw a UK Abbey Road in a shop and it said original Parlophone pressing and I thought you know just a dumb record shop owner it's like it's not Parlophone it's Apple right right and on the back cover it said Apple so I'm like a hundred bucks a little pricey but okay fine I'll buy it just because I'm lazy and I don't want to have to order it online <laughs> and then I I didn't even look at the record I I bought it went to the car and then I took the record out and it actually was on Parlophone Wow! Like, oh, oh! So it's one of these, and you can always tell when it's an original because it's heavier, right? Yeah, but it's a second UK export pressing 
on Parlophone. Of with that, the, right. With, with the one box Parlophone EMI. Label. Yes. Yeah. Oh, what a, what a score. Yeah. For a hundred. For a hundred bucks, that's a that's a steal. I know. Because <laughs> I think the guy just thought it was an original, you know, generic UK and wanted to charge a sucker for it. And so he sold it to a sucker, but it ended up being, you know. It ended up being legit. He was so the sucker. He's the sucker. Sorry, pal. <laughs> yeah. His, his shop has gone out of business now. Yeah. So how long have you been collecting records and uh, all this about stuff? About 10 years. About good, 10. Good for you. So you, in 10 years, you've amassed quite a collection that probably would rival people that have been doing it for, you know, their lifetime. So that's pretty uh, well, impressive. It's, it's very heavily curated. Yes. <laughs> it's it's heavily curated. It's I I don't you know I'm just maxing out my IKEA two by eight uh, calyx shelf. The calyx shelves, yes, as we all have those. <laughs> if I had been less you know explicit about what I want, I'd probably have like a four by four or a five by five by now. But you know, I guess I inherited it from my mo- or from my dad. I have expensive taste. Hey, listen, you need you need a place to house. I always say we all need places to house our madness, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's it really dawned on me how uh, vinyl collecting has destroyed my perception of money. Uh, uh, it was a couple weeks ago. I was at an antique market. And it's it's a really good antique market, and they had a, a British copy of the second Yardbirds album for seventy five, and I bought it without even thinking. You didn't even you didn't even flinch. No, it wasn't even like oh my god, what is this? It was just like I'll get that. Okay, I'll get that. You didn't even yeah. yeah you, you sometimes when you were like you're okay, this is something we don't see that often. I, it could have been a hundred dollars. You would have bought it. That you would have spent a hundred on it too. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and I. I wouldn't have paid, wouldn't have bought it if I didn't love the album, right. which I do because I'd been looking for it. But the fact that I was so unfazed by it—that's that's when you know that your 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 vinyl collecting addiction has reached new heights. Oh yeah, <laughs> I would have thought at the start of this pandemic that it would have gone down because I can't go to as many record stores. No. No, you, I just you, get creative. And okay, now you're you're gonna you're just gonna buy twice as much online because you can't go yeah. out. <laughs> well, I I got in constant contact with a a vendor who does a lot of the uh, record shows in Ontario. Like I always see him there, but he does stuff on the side too. And so I got in touch with him, and he started a website. And so you know, every two or three weeks, I drive down to Toronto, drop couple hundred dollars <laughs> and say okay yeah okay, uh, okay. I got, you know second uk pressing of in the court of the crimson king oh tremendous british uh days of future past by the moody blues oh awesome awesome stuff they're they're great that's a great band to go see live if you had a chance they were they were tremendous i saw them do that whole album in the uh, on the anniversary tour a couple summers ago that was great yeah what what's your favorite non-beatles related album so outside of the Beatles world, what would be my favorite album? Yes. Oh God, that's a tough one. Um, so I have three like favorites. So there's like I Beatles and Solo, to me go as there. That's one. That's, Save that's one. those answers for later because I I will touch back on those. Okay, but outside of outside of uh, the Beatles, my favorite singular album. 
Oh boy, gun to my head. I'm I'm probably gonna say. Uh, oh God. See, today it's this. Tomorrow it'll be something else. I'll say Quadrophenia by the Who. Quadrophenia. Yeah, I'll say Quadrophenia. But you know that because the outside. After the Beatles, it's uh, a side note. I, I played the Beatles so much in the '90s. My uncle and father and everybody was like, they they were like, okay, we get it. You, you like the Beatles? There's tons of other music out there. Here, try this one instead. And my uncle threw Quadrophenia at me, and that was an eye opener. Did he actually throw it at you? He uh, he he didn't throw it at me. He was walking out and he was like, enough, put this on, and he walked out. <laughs> So that was... Uh, Assaulted by your uncle with a copy of Quadrophenia. Yes, he was like, you know, typical you know, New York guy, you know, Andy, you've had enough of hearing this Beatles stuff. Put this album on, you'll like this too. And, you know, and, uh, and that, that, that opened up the door to all, everything else for me in, in terms of what I like outside of the Beatles. So Quadrophenia, I would say definitely is a, well, an album. I, I was going to say, one of my favorite non-Beatles albums... It's also a Who album, but it's earlier Who. It's the Who sell out. Oh, that's a that's that's and that's a, that's a, that's a very nice pick because it's so, you know, it's 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 kind of off the beaten path one, but it's so kind yeah. of crazy and kooky, filled with all those radio jingles yeah. and the pop art What's stuff. What's the tea, <laughs> Oh, John Entwistle there on that one, guys. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's a great again. That's a fantastic pick too, and. Uh, did you see that, that that girl who actually did a cover of the whole album? I did see that. Uh, Petra Hayden, I think her name is. Yeah. Yeah. I think Townsend said it was like winning a Grammy when he when he <laughs> found out she did that. <laughs> yeah. So that was outside of the Beatles. I'd say Quadrophenia, although I could change, but we'll, we'll yeah. save that question for later. <laughs> so now uh, let's let's make later now. What is do your that. favorite Beatles album? Uh, favorite Beatles album again could change on the day, but I always say by default I'll just say the White Album, and that might be a bland pick. Uh, uh, or, but for me, it's the easiest one because it's the one that has all the it has the everything the, everything but the kitchen sink thrown it thrown into it in terms of genre, right? See that the thing you're describing that makes it your favorite is how I, exactly I'd describe it when saying it's not my favorite because it's like they just threw everything at it. And it wasn't one co- one concise yeah, but thing. That's the thing about the Beatles' music. Sure. What doesn't appeal to me is the same thing that appeals to you. Yeah. No. That that would because and just for the sheer amount of stuff that's on it, uh, I've always said the White Album. Um, you know, it, it can again it could change, but I always I, the, the White Album for me, start to finish, and especially uh, the the twenty eighteen you know deluxe edition has just been that that has just opened up. Yeah. So, so many new doors. Giles did such a great job on that. That the long remix ver- isn't as uh, jarring. No, as the uh, Pepper mix. No, I, I, it, I love the Pepper mix, but the White Album was as wasn't it, as big. It, of a it jump. wasn't, but the bonus stuff, the bonus tracks on that, like the all the outtakes, like that long version of like Revolution where they start going oh, yeah. into Love Me Do at the end. That was yeah. like that was that was like okay, this is this is this box is fucking great. <laughs> Finally, having you know proper versions of the uh, Easter demos. Yeah, yeah, Easter demos now all, all housed in one thing. So yeah, Esher, White Album. Esher, I don't know. Which. I say Easter. I say Easter as well. Yeah. I think the, I think I think the, I think my fellow friends in the UK say Easter as well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that that one was probably you know by far still remains my number one favorite. I remember I brought it in as a show and tell thing in like second grade. 
we had show and tell, and I brought yeah. in the white album. See, <laughs> with with all the pictures and yeah, poster exactly. And I think even back then it was like it was like those it, it was the '80s. So it was like my first white album. So it was like the the Capital Rainbow late yeah. '80s pressing one. You know, <laughs> which is scratched probably scratched to hell now. But that was like new then. You know, <laughs> but it, it's funny now talking as you know record collectors because we we both I, I I'm. I'm speaking for me, but we both probably put up those posters, hung those pictures. Yeah, fact. We definitely yeah. framed. For, you know, they we we put them up. I mean, cut out the Sergeant Pepper mustache. <laughs> that I never did. You did you cut it out? I I did, and then I regretted it. So I bought another <laughs> copy of Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> I never touched the inserts on the on yeah. Pepper. I just left it alone. I didn't want to mess with it. The, There's um, one that go, back go before I really understood why duplicates matter. Uh, I had two copies of Sgt. Pepper. I'm like, well, now that I have two, I can turn the other one to an arts and crafts project. And so <laughs> I, I wanted to make like a faux gold record. So I spray painted the actual record <laughs> gold. <laughs> Did it, did, it, did it look good? No. Oh, God. Because <laughs> I was like 10. Oh, my God. You spray painted it gold. Yeah. <laughs> I was always amazed with the, uh, you know, you, you. I'm sure your copy has that, that mono, the mono that you got was the, um, with the original inner sleeve. It did, did it come with that too? the inner sleeve. Uh, well, 15 bucks. I, I'm so happy with what I got. Well, that's true too. Do you now, you, do you prefer true mono or do you like stereo? Depends on the album. No, for Pepper, I'm talking. Oh, for Pepper, I, out of the original two, I prefer the original mono, but I prefer the 2017 remix to either one. That's your go-to now, right? That's my go-to now. Yeah, that, this mashup mix of mono and stereo to be a new it's, thing. My gold standard is uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds for listening to the mixes. Yeah. And Lucy sounds fantastic in the 2017 mix. It it does. I think I'm I'm in agreement with you on that. The 2017 is still the go-to now for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I just don't like on that or on the original mono. She's leaving home. I just think is better in a stereo version. It's slower yeah. and it's I, I like the slower well, that's version. That's like a "Don't Pass Me By" on the White Album. The mono one is sped up slightly. Yes. Yeah, but um, those yeah, but that yeah, I just those little nuances and stuff like that are. But that's are, also irrelevant to me because I I do something that I will probably get flack from all audiophiles. With my turntable, I kind of crank the speed up slightly. You change the pitch. I change the pitch, so it's you know, let let's say about half a semitone higher, because I feel like. It just makes me slightly happier to listen to. I can't put my finger my finger on why. Interesting. I do the same thing, but 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 lower. I lower it about half a semitone. Yeah. Slow. Yeah. So you go higher and I go lower. That's cool. It just it for some reason it makes everything just sound happier. Interesting. So if you if it's faster, it's it's a little happier. Hey. Yes. So that's cool. I just I always felt that. At a regular speed, some songs are just a little too fast, so I just throttle it back just a little, ever so slightly, mm-hmm. and then that's my that's my happy place. <laughs> so, White Album's your favorite? Yes. Today, what is your least favorite Beatles album? Uh, 
I'm not going to say there isn't one because that's such a lame answer because we all have we all know that some albums yes. are better than others. Um, least favorite Beatles album. Not um, all. Not all albums are created equal. Least favorite Beatles album I will say is probably Beatles for Sale. Shocker. <laughs> I know. Beatles for Sale. That I've I've kind of learn to just expect that response from you people. should because i'm not going to say because everything else is tremendous i mean they're yeah. listen they were tired as hell half the song half the album is covers i mean you know they were they were battered to hell with touring they kind of just threw that album late at the end of 64 and just threw it out there now Let, let's get this out of the way before i i go on to favorite song or go. something thoughts on mr moonlight like it Thank God. Thank God. I like it. I Because I, I didn't want to have to get into another argument. And it's Mr. actually, a, it's another one of my uncle's actually favorite songs, actually, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> he loves it. It's just so cheesy. And it's so cheesy. It's so, it's great. Yes. about, you know, how it was kind of a running joke between the Beatles and the other bands in Liverpool to see who could play, you know, the schlockiest, cheesiest version possible. Of Mr. Moonlight, yeah. Although I, I like the ver, I like the live version from the Star Club too, which is a little bit faster and more. You know, it's not it's not as polished, obviously, as the one on the yeah. album. So, what is your favorite Beatles song? Ah, uh, see, I don't want to give you an obvious, but I might have to. Obvious uh, is okay. I don't think you're gonna like it though. Okay, well, hit me anyways. Well, let's see, favorite Beatles song. Um, if you say let it be, I will no. be disappointed. No. If I said let it be, hang up the phone. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to say, I'll, I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you like my safe answer and I'm going to give you like the one that I was really, truly like my favorite. My safe answer would be like a day in the life. Okay. okay. That's my safe answer. But the one I probably play the most outside of that, um, I'm going to say for no one from Revolver. Really? Yeah. That's not an obvious choice. I'm gonna say for no one. Um, it's a song I've been revisiting a lot, listening to it because I've been like on a I've been on a Broad Street binge. Mm-hmm. So and I and I love how he plays it in that one. Um, Do you so, have a DVD copy of Broad Street and a VHS? Okay, because I, I I was on eBay just curious. The DVD copies are expensive. They are. Um, I thought there was a Blu-ray. There's not a Blu-ray yet, but I saw it on Amazon not too long ago. Look again, because I sent it to a friend of mine. It was like ten bucks. Oh, there it was ten go. bucks for his first standard DVD. So check okay. it out again. Well, that's still like nine dollars too much. It is, but you know what? I was talking about this with Tom. You know, we were talking about like, what, what do you want? What, what do you want to see next? I want a Uber like six hundred dollar box of for, for give my regards to Broad Street. I want it. I want it today. Find some way to issue like a suitcase. Yes. Yes, I, like I, Tom like a repro- will buy it. Tom he will. Buy it. He'll buy it. I want like the rep- I want like the script in there reproduced. I want like a yeah. replica of a movie ticket. I want the whole thing. Yeah, remastered ultra 4K. <laughs> I want it. I want it. And and listen, my my rationale is okay. You've got Paul and Ringo and George Martin on film working together. How that that warrants it alone. Forget about the movie and the script and that it's awful. The fact that the musical performance is in there and George Martin and Paul are in there with Ringo, I think that's sorry. the best thing anyone could ever say about a movie. Forget about the script or the movie; it's awful. It is, but yeah. but but the but, but the musical performances in it make it worthy. So yeah. yes, you know. 
But yeah, but for no one, for no one is probably my favorite pure, you know, outside of the obvious choices. For no one's probably my favorite Beatles song. Well, that that's okay. Well, I want to ask now, what is your least favorite Beatles song? Least favorite Beatles song. Hmm. Let's, let me think on this first. Just a split second. Uh, uh, cover or one of the or one of the ones that they wrote. Uh, let's do one of each. Okay, so I want to say probably like a taste of honey. Okay, I I do not care much for that song. A, a taste of honey, and then one that they wrote. Uh, I probably say um, oh, I, I just you know it's like ask like Beatles the words. Beatles and least are not in my vocabulary. That's yeah. why I'm. That's why I'm struggling with this. It's not like they're bad. Bad. No, you know, uh, Beatles bad is everyone is still, else is fairly decent. True, true. Uh, my least favorite original song by them, I'll say, would be. I'll say. Oh. I'll say. You can't do that. Really? Yeah. Wow. I'll say you can't do that. Explain. Explain I don't know. yourself. Uh, I, it's just you know, I, I like I like I prefer the live versions better, but it's just I don't know. It goes on a little bit too long. Too much cowbell. Yeah. <laughs> Way too much cowbell. How is there uh, too much cowbell? There is. There just there there is, and I like cowbell, but not on that song. Yeah. But it's uh, that that riff, though. I know it's a, it's a good it's a good riff, but it's what. Yeah, no, it's good. You know, sounds better on a twelve string. Yes, and that was that was beautifully done, by the way. No, it wasn't. I, 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 <laughs> it's hard. It's it really it's hard to say. I mean, ask me tomorrow. I could I could change my I could change my my answer. Um. But yeah, I'm gonna say you can't do that right now. Well, and now let's do some kind of quick fire things. What's your favorite John Lennon album? Mind Games. What's your favorite Paul McCartney album? Red Rose Speedway. What's your favorite George Harrison album? Thirty three and a third. And what's your favorite Ringo Starr album? Stop and Smell the Roses. Really? Yes. Huh. <laughs> Hands down. Okay. Because I think I got... might have to ask you to elaborate. Okay, Stop and Smell the Roses, obviously with its connection to, to John and how John was going to help him with that album. You had Paul and George kind of rally around him to help him with that album a little bit. They got together and recorded all those years ago during those sessions too. Um, I just like the I love Private Property, Rack My Brain. Paul, McCart- Paul wrote uh, Attention on that album. To me, it's like it's almost like Ringo, the, you know, the Ringo 73 album, but in an 80s context. So... Uh, I mean, I, I think that album is tremendous. I like the the cover that he does of um, oh, it's escaping me. Uh, what's the cover he does on that album? Uh, it was an old Beatles uh, live number they used to do. But anyway, that's good on there too. I think um, he did a re, he did a recover of Back Off Boogaloo. That also was on a bonus track. So um, how many times has he redone that song? Too many. Yeah. Too many. But Stop and Smell the Roses, you know, 10 years ago, I would have told you, you know, the obligatory Goodnight Vienna or Ringo. But no, for me, it's Stop and Smell the Roses. That's 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 my rapid fire four. And I'll, I'll actually elaborate. What is your least favorite McCartney album? 
Oh, the song, the Ringo song was, um, the Ringo song was, I can't, I don't know. I forget. Oh, short of fall, short of fall in love with you. That was the that was the song. I was gonna say I could run and go grab my copy, but that would be a waste of both of our time. Short of fall, least favorite McCartney album. You're putting me on the spot here, Ethan. Because everything he did was so great. Yes, said me never. Least favorite McCartney album. Ooh, well. If you listen to or watch the two legs, you know I'm not going to say off the ground because I like because I, I love, love that. off the ground. Thank I you, Tom. Love, you hear that? You hear I that, Tom? I love off the ground. I hope you heard that, Tom. I really, really hope you heard I, that. One of my, again, prized possessions is I, an original 1993 UK LP copy of Off the Ground. Only pressed in the UK. It was yep. not made here. And I will not say how much I paid for it. You want to hear how much I paid for it? Sure. Ten dollars. What the fuck? In in 1995, in in, in a New York City oh, record okay. store. Okay, that makes a little more sense. Ten dollars. <laughs> it still it still has the sticker on it. Oh man. It still has the sticker on it. I, um, okay, I paid a hundred dollars for it. Damn. <laughs> that's crazy. Oh, least, okay. This is easy. Least favorite McCartney album, Driving Rain. Okay, that's what I thought you were gonna say. Driving Rain. And now, uh, what is your favorite McCartney? side project you know could be thrillington fireman all those stuff twin freaks um i'd have to say electric arguments electric arguments probably um because it was almost like it was a fireman album but it was like a mccartney album mm-hmm. um i like the liverpool sound college too is a little bit of a different thing you know because the mashup that he did with uh, i think youth on that as mm-hmm. well i think let me just look at it real quick who did he do this with again now? Um, oh, the Super Furry Animals. This wasn't with you. This was with the Super Furry. Yeah, so I like that, but definitely Electric Arguments. Um, the orchestral stuff, I'm not as big on with yeah. him. I, I like some of it. Like I the think Liverpool Oratorio. The Oratorio is probably the one I like the most because um, obviously the connections to Liverpool and how it was it was recorded and performed at the What's Anglican. What's the one with like the Latin title? Etchy Cormium from 2006. Yeah. I think I said that right. If I didn't, tell me. You know, somebody out there who listens to this. Uh, Ocean's Kingdom. I don't even think I've, I've I've listened to that more than maybe a few seconds of it. Um, but uh, Standing, See, I Standing think we're Stone. we're actually talking about some albums where vinyl copies exist, but it's, I'm so indifferent to some of these albums that I won't buy them. Like no. Ocean's Kingdom, Liverpool no. Oratorio. No. Agreed. And it's... Um, it was even like Kisses on the Bottom. I was so indifferent to that I, I could have got one brand new, and now they're like very expensive. Yeah, that one you got to. That was one of those ones you've got to snap up, and it's amazing. Like vinyl that was made in the '90s or early, even the early 2000s is ridiculous. Like Driving Rain, I think yeah. I, in 2001 when I bought it, it was like 30 bucks. You know? I, I had a chance a couple of years ago to buy a copy. I think it was even sealed of Flaming Pie for 150. Wow. And I thought, wow, that's kind of expensive. And now I go back, now that Flaming Pie has been reissued, thinking, mm, do I want to get it or do I want to go for the original? And then I look at the original, it's like, oh, wow, they've even gotten more expensive. An, an, an American pressing or one from the UK? I, I, I'm not quite sure. I think because I have I have both, and the American one, again, I'm Would you like myself. to donate one to your favorite <laughs> Canadian? I could. I have several. I could. We could. We could arrange that. Yeah. I think I paid. I think it was again. Anything that was you're like a, looking for. 
Uh, yes, we will. We can talk about that after the show. Perfect. <laughs> I think I paid, and it's still sealed, eleven ninety nine for a, a, a USA oh, pressing of, of flaming pie. Yeah, and then the British copy was about thirty bucks back then. So uh, those are two. They're sitting nicely on my shelf over there. Uh. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll make. We'll make a deal. Well, one of those records that I was so close to getting, because I, I, I just like talking records with people. Yes. But there was a, a 2001 reissue of All Things Must Pass. Yes. That I almost in, the, in, picked, in the box? Yeah. In the, in the, yeah, with in the, the box. color cover. Yep. I, I almost got that for 150 at Ooh. the aforementioned antique market. But I thought... You can get better than that online. Yeah. Well, here's something. Are you a Pink Floyd fan? I am. Um, do you own the Echoes box set? I do not. Well, there's a record store close to me that has about two or three new old stock copies for their original prices. Really? Yeah. They're still like $99. That's pretty good. I know. That's pretty good. That's where I got my original like 07 copy of love sealed wow they, they have like a, a stack of about 10 still sealed original 2007 no shit yeah wow so i mean it, i have it i have it digitally because i have apple music but i don't own it physically but it's kind of you know a hole in the wall store that not a lot of people know about mm. what's your favorite floyd album favorite floyd album um I'm gonna. You're gonna say like Adam Hart Mother or something, right? I'm not gonna say Adam Hart Mother. <laughs> I'll say something even weirder. Saucer full of secrets. I knew that was coming. I figured oh, he's gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was gonna say. Mm, I, I could say Piper at the Gates of Dawn, which that is a very good album. Yeah. But I, I like Saucer Full of Secrets just slightly more because you know, Corporal Clegg. Uh, yeah. Let there be more light. Nice. What's your favorite Floyd album? Metal. Metal. Good choice. Yes. Seamus. Yep. Yeah, love love metal. And then probably the the wall after that, which might be obvious, but yeah. I, you know, I, oh, I like the that obvious one. one for me is I don't care how basic it is, Dark Side of the Moon. Oh well, listen, that's like, you yeah. know. And you've there's, got the wings you've got the wings connection on that yeah. album too. <laughs> there, there's a reason why it's so yeah. beloved. I just wish, you know, I like and people discover that kind of music. Like, I remember this specifically in high school. Everybody was like, oh, I like Pig Floyd. I like Dark Side of the Moon. Like, well, there's other albums to listen to, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and the good thing that with uh, Pink Floyd is I saw someone describe it as start with metal. Start with metal. If you like these elements, go listen to these albums. If you like these elements, go listen to these ones. And it's kind of like a, a diagram. Kind of, yeah, it can, yeah. It'll take you to two different directions so depending like on what you like. So if you like elements of metal, go to Adam Hart Mother. Right. Go to Saucer Full of Secrets. Right. If you blah, like the popular stuff. Yeah. Right. Cool. But, yeah. Oh, I, I could so easily do a Pink Floyd podcast. You certainly could. Who can, you know. Yeah. Good stuff. Not necessarily out of the cards. Go for it, man. Yeah. Have people on to talk about Pink Floyd records. Yeah. There's, I've, I've seen a couple tribute bands over the last few years, and they've always been they've, they've been pretty pretty spot on and recreating the, the experience. You know what? I think I actually might do that. You're, you're, you're witnessing the birth of something new, everybody. 
I think Go I'm going to start a series, a mini series, where I talk about Pink Floyd. Bring someone on to talk about a Pink Floyd album. Go for it. And I'll have you on to talk about metal. Okay. <laughs> there you go. All good stuff, man. Anyways, there's, there's, yeah. Now we're at my favorite part of the show. Andy, what would you like to plug? Well, uh, those of you that are listening or have watched, um, thank you for following Two Legs. If you haven't, if you're not aware of it, uh, if Two you're Legs, not aware of it, you're stupid. If Go you're not aware of it, them. if you're if if you're in our little circle of Beatles podcast, you should be aware of it. And if you're not. Then shame on you. Um, Two Legs is the is the podcast that I co-host with my partner Tom Hunyadi, uh, and I've been on the team for about a year now. Um, if you'd like to check us out, just Google search Two Legs, and you'll find us. Um, we we post episodes weekly. We have had authors, uh, people that have worked with McCartney, interviewed McCartney, uh, other people, other podcasters. Um, so check us out on there on Podbean, YouTube all the usual outlets of which there are too many to list anymore, but uh, we're out there uh, and the show is doing very well. We've hit over 200 subscribers on YouTube, which uh, is an area that kind of uh, we took off to do when I came on board and Tom has been very happy with that and me too. So um, check us out on YouTube and subscribe uh, and kind of get into the little chat with uh, our people and friends on there as well. And that's about it, my friend. We're on Facebook and all the, and all the other social media, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. You can find us on there as well. And if you know, that's where we at, that's where we're at for two legs. I, I'm still getting the hand of plugging myself, saying all the right buzzwords and you, yeah, but yeah, yeah. There, there's a there's yeah. a rhythm to it. There's a rhythm. to I it. I haven't gotten in the rhythm yet. It's, it's okay. I'm not in another. No, but none of yeah. us are. We're learning as we go. We're on uh, iTunes, Podbean, Spotify. <laughs> uh, Apple Music, no, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio. Yeah. Uh, we're now on App or Amazon Music. Yep, got to add that. It's like a little script yeah. you have to do. It's uh, basically anywhere good podcasts can be heard. Uh, yeah. Give us five-star ratings if you liked the episode. Give us four-star ratings if you didn't. Please give the five-star ones, though. Please, please. Please feed uh, my ego. Please. Also, kudos like on like I don't know if, I don't know if people people have probably told you this, and if they haven't, like shame on them. The way you design your artwork for your episodes is like nothing short of amazing. It's probably the coolest thing I've seen in terms of like podcast art like oh, ever. Thank you. The, your the, like your I concept have one of done for you. Your concept of like pulling album artwork and changing it and like, superimposing people's faces onto it is pretty pretty awesome. And I've I've never seen it anywhere. And you, it's kudos. Thank you. I, I'll have to send what I have for you after oh, the interview. It's, oh, it's good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you're listening to this on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. Please hit that bell notification so you get notified every time a new episode goes up of Fans on the Run or whatever vanity project I put out next. You'll be the first to know. And we're on Facebook, uh, Fans on the Run podcast. We're on Instagram under the same name. Uh, you can email me at fansontherunpodcast at gmail.com. And that's about it for my plug. There we go. How did you I do? You got it. You you did it. You did it. See, you don't even... Listen, you're a veteran now, man. Yeah. You, you, don't, you got it. You got it. You, you follow Kit. You follow Tom. You follow, you're, you got it down yeah. now. You're, you're I, in, man. I'm in man. good company. You certainly are. Remember, right? kids, it's not what you know. 
It's who you know. Don't forget that. Yeah. It's this delightful kind of Beatles nepotism. Certainly is. But anyways, Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a blast. No, it's been great, man. I'm, I'm happy that you reached out, and I was happy to share uh, my Liverpool experiences with you and a uh, little insight of some local local stuff over there. And I'll, I'll send you some photos of uh, my Beatledom stuff over the years, and you can check a look at those as well. So thank you, Ethan. It's I'm been, in a uh, great mood because I thought this was not going to go as well because I was rusty. I was please. not rusty. I didn't no. think I was. I am a god. You're pro. You're pro. Dude, sign this kid up. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> to whatever Beatles podcasting network is coming out. Well, it's coming, and you're you're on it, buddy. So oh, welcome yeah. aboard. Oops did i did I leak something? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Open secrets. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks, man. I really yeah. appreciate it. Oh God, I'm gonna get an angry uh, message from Ed Chen <laughs> saying, "What the fuck, Ethan?" <laughs> Piss that off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. So, anyways, thank you for coming on. To everyone else out there, thank you for listening. You can go home now. Bands on the Line is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Fulton. This has been a Showtown production.